Um, let's begin uh, in John 14 today. Um, remember the point that we're at um, John 13 onwards until Jesus' crucifixion. This is all happening the night before his death. It's Thursday before Good Friday. Um, and this is all referred to as the upper room discourse. Um, you remember whenever Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he tells his disciples to go before him and to find a place where they can celebrate the Passover meal together. And they wind up getting uh, an upper room in a house. And John 13 uh, as he's like washing the disciples' feet and everything, this is taking place during this upper room uh, discourse, and the upper room discourse will continue on uh, until we get to chapter 18. So chapters 13 through 17 are all part uh, of, of Jesus and his disciples are sitting there. Judas has now left. Remember, he did that in our reading yesterday. So he's with the 11 good disciples. We've lost the one that's literally Satan incarnate. Um, and um, Jesus is really kind of getting started with his more sermonic teaching, picking up in 14. And in chapter 13, he washed their feet. Uh, he gave the morsel of bread to Judas. Judas left. Um, he ended chapter 13 by saying, people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Um, and then he foretells Peter's denial. And then um, as Jesus has been talking about going away from the disciples in chapter 13, uh, he started to realize that they seem very anxious and very upset about this. And he begins in chapter 14 by saying what? Somebody read chapter 14, verse 1. Yeah, a, a big theme in this sermon that we call the Upper Room Discourse uh, is really just found there. Um, Jesus is going to make a little bit of a strange argument in John 13 through 17 that it is better that he go away than that he remain there with them. Don't be troubled, he says. You, you don't need to be upset that my time is coming and that I'm not going to be here with you anymore. Don't be troubled. Uh, it's better for you that I go away. Um, I don't know. Have you ever read the Gospels before as a Jesus follower and you thought, man, I'm kind of jealous of the disciples? Like, they get to see Jesus all the time. They got to hang out with him for three years. Like, it seems like they just have it so much better than I do. Have you ever thought something like that before? Upper Room Discourse would respond to you and say, you're actually in a more privileged position than the disciples were. So as we read these chapters, we want to understand how and why that is the case. Why is it important that Jesus has gone away? Where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven, right? We also know that he's with us through the Holy Spirit. 
but, but he, he's in heaven. He's gone away. He's not on earth with us the same way that he was with the disciples. And the upper room discourse, Jesus is helping them fight anxiety by saying it's actually better that it's going this way. You will be in a better position because of this. So why is it good that Jesus has gone away into heaven? Uh, somebody read for us verses 2 through 7. Yeah, a couple of interesting things here. Okay, so he said, don't be troubled. It's better that I'm going away. All right, well, why is that the case? His first answer is, um, he's told the Jews who don't believe where I'm going, you cannot come. That's what he's told the Jewish crowds. What does he tell his disciples here, though? Where I'm going, you will be also. You will be also, because you know the way. What's the way? I am the way. Right? What, what he's saying there is where he's going, which is his father's presence in heaven, um, they will follow him. The, the, they will go to be with him too. They know how to get to his father's presence. They know how to arrive in heaven, to be with Jesus one day. And it's through believing in God and believing in Christ. Um, Let me make a couple of quick points about this text. Um, Verse 2, Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. Does anybody have a KJV? What's the KJV say on that text? In my Father's house there are many rooms. How does it read it? In my Father's house are many mansions with a little footnote about it. Yeah, the, the old KJV, instead of translating that rooms, translated it mansions. And the word picture gets a little bit distorted if you do that. Uh, if you think about, um, you know, mansions, you, you kind of get this idea of a street with like a whole bunch of different houses, right? Like I have my house and my neighbor has his house, but it's not the same house. This is mine. That is yours. And there's a separation there. What Jesus says is, is literally, in my father's house, there are many rooms. What's the difference there? all part of one house you're all there together and so um all of them are going to share this this one house of the father there it's not that okay jesus is at the top of the street and and you're a few houses down it's that the father has one big house with lots and lots of rooms and a great big table with lots of no i'm just kidding you guys know that song you know what i'm okay um and Big, big yard where we can play football, touchdown, right? Why is that like the one thing that they all need is a yard to play football in? in America. Um, <laughs> no, um, but the, the idea there is that it's supposed to be a place where all believers are in community together. And it's good news that Jesus is going to this place because uh, the disciples have the assurance that they will one day arrive in this place too. Um. It's not an assurance given to the unbelieving crowds, but it is one given to the disciples here. Um, By the way, verse 7, 
If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have If we've questioned whether Jesus is making himself one with the Father up until this point, we can't anymore. To see the face of Jesus is to see the very face of God. Uh, somebody read for us verses 8 through 14. Please. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, so it says in that text uh, another reason why it's good for Jesus to go away. He's going to be with the Father. Father. And he is showing here this great oneness between the Son and the Father to the extent that he can say, the Father's in me, I'm in the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, As they've been walking with Jesus, they've learned about Jesus's heart, his compassion, his willingness to help those who call on him. He says in verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. And now Jesus is ascending into heaven. He's going to be seated at the very right hand of the Father. And and by the way, um, sometimes we get this idea, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and we think, okay, here is God the Father's throne, and then here is Jesus' throne. Not how Scripture does it. The way that Scripture explains Jesus being at the right hand of the Father is that Jesus is on the exact same throne that the Father is on. In Revelation 15, we'll get a picture of this towards the end of the year, where the Son sits down and he shares the seat with the Father. So why is it good news that Jesus is going away? Well, Jesus is going, um, and they're going to know that Jesus sits on the throne of the Father. He sits on the throne of the universe now. And they know his heart, they know his compassion, they know his willingness to help. He's promised, if you ask in my name, I'll do it. And they can know that the one who is controlling the cosmos, that's sitting on the throne of the universe, is their Jesus. It's good news that he's the one that's on the throne. And it's good news that he is so one with the Father that they can have the assurance that the same way that the Son has loved them and has been willing to help them, the Father shares that same heart towards them. Remember John 3.16, Jesus didn't die to make the Father love us, but Jesus was sent by the Father because the Father already does love us. And so... One of the reasons why it's good Jesus is going away, he's going to heaven, is that there's an assurance that he'll one day bring us there to be with him. He is the way, and he'll, he'll make sure that we get to our destination. Jesus also sits on the throne of the universe, and that can be an assurance to them as they go through different trials and tribulations. Um, let's see. I'll read for a minute. Verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
By the way, where do you look to find God's commandments? Yeah, really in the in the law, right? Does Jesus ever show up and say, hey, those moral commandments that God gave, just like throw them out? Like obviously civil and sacrificial law uh, codes of Israel, we can't just like bring them over. But but does Jesus ever say, hey, you know, that do not murder command? Eh, does he do that? So to love God, it, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We continue to reflect on God's commands, on his laws, and the expression of our love of, of Jesus is whether we walk in his commandments or not. If you see somebody that says, oh yeah, I really, really love Jesus, but they live a life of total rebellion and sin, they ignore God's law, that shows that they don't really love Jesus. Or if you are in a position and, and, and you sin knowingly, knowing that you go against scripture, you should know that in that moment you're not loving God the way that you should. Love and obedience are tied together in this text. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, verse 16, and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it never, neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is really one of the big points that Jesus is going to make about why it's good that he goes away. Jesus leaves in order to send the helper. And uh, who is the helper, according to this text? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. Jesus is going to make an argument that it's better for the disciples to have the Holy Spirit than for them to be right beside Jesus during these three years. Verse 18, he continues and says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, the other one. We really want to distinguish here. <laughs> you know, how, how terrible would that be to be that Judas? And you're walking around and be like, oh, hey, I'm Judas. I was Jesus' disciple. Uh, Thought that guy died. No, 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 no. The, the other guy, you know, always being called Judas. Not a scary. Um, he said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Where did God make his home in the Old Testament? Tabernacle and temple. And now God loves his people and he's going to make his home in them. Um, Any of you guys have this spot at your house that's like your favorite spot in the house? Maybe it's your bed. Maybe it's a chair where you like to watch TV or read. Anybody have like their spot? All right. My son Henry has a spot. Henry's spot is there is a gap about this big in between the couch and the recliner. And that is Henry's favorite place in the world. First thing in the morning, we get him out of his little sleep sack. 
he crawls and goes, <laughs> and he wedges himself in that spot. And then he sits and he stares at us really intently until he poops. <laughs> it's his spot. Some, maybe some of you guys, your spot, your favorite, your happy place is the toilet. I don't know. Don't tell me if it is because you're a weirdo. Um, but we, a lot of people do that, right? There's like this one area. Maybe it's not even at your house. Maybe it's a coffee shop. There's one seat at Jennings that you just really like. And that is the place where you just, that's, you just feel your best. Maybe it is the seat that you're in right now in Mr. Gravitz Bible class because this just feels like home to you. Right. In, um, in Greek, the Greeks had a word for that spot. We don't. The Greeks did better than us. <laughs> the word for that spot in Greek literature is nace. Your nace. Whenever the Old Testament got translated from Hebrew into Greek... The Holy of Holy in the tabernacle or temple was called God's nace. It was his spot. And the New Testament uses that language to talk about God now living inside of you. You are his nace. Ephesians 2 uses it. I'm not sure if it's the exact word Jesus uses right here or not. I didn't look it up. But that word is used to describe God dwelling inside of you. You are his holy of holies. You are his temple. You are his spot because of the great love he has for you. Uh, Verse 24, Jesus continues and says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So, um, okay, so he said, it's better for me to leave because then I send the Helper. Why is the Helper better? Well, number one, he's not just someone who is right beside you, but he's someone who indwells you. He, he is someone who lives inside of you uh, and is always present with you forever. Right, that was his first point. He also says, I've spoken these words to you while I'm with you, but in verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. What's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, according to this text? What does he do with the words of Jesus? Bring them to remembrance. Brings them to remembrance and teaches them to us. Right, Not just a, a teaching like what I'm doing, but, but an internalizing teaching. Right, uh, There's a lot of things that you guys know. There's only a few things that have really like deeply rooted themselves into you. Right, The, the Holy Spirit causes you, um, it uh, brings Jesus' words to remembrance. And he teaches them. Okay? Um, Verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. 
And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as my Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Um, before we move on, let's look at one text here. Uh, verse 28, what does Jesus say about his relationship to the Father? The Father is... Yeah, what's weird about Jesus saying the Father's greater than I? Yeah, he's also claimed equality with God. He's, he said, I'm one with the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am God. He, he's claimed an equal status with God. And now he says, the Father's greater than I. Well, how do we make sense of that? Um, does Jesus just contradict himself? How do we make sense of that? In what way is Jesus equal with the Father? Well, let's back it up a little bit. What is Jesus? God. He's God. How much God? Fully, God? Fully God. All right, we've got the person of Jesus, and we know he's 100% God. What else is Jesus? 100% man. We learn from John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was at creation. Abraham saw him, so he's eternal, right? He claims equality with God. As it relates to Jesus' Godhood, he's equal with God. But Jesus is also 100% man. God is infinite. Man is finite. God is all-knowing. Humans, I mean, remember, Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour, only the Father, right? Uh, Human beings are sometimes, we don't know everything, right? So as it relates to his godhood, he's equal with God. As it relates to his humanity, he submits to God. He is... Uh, as, it, as it relates to his humanity, he's in a, in a position of a servant. So, as it relates to this, he can say, Father is greater. So you go through scripture, if we were in a little bit of a deeper theology class, like I, I go over this for a few days in my systematics class, we would take a whole bunch of text and we would see that sometimes we have to read what it says about Jesus in light of his divinity, sometimes in light of his humanity. Um, there's a word for that. And I'm blanking on it. Theology kids should know. You can ask them. Um, so he has... Um, no, it's bugging me. What's that called? Anyways, it doesn't really matter. Um, but he, he's gone through talking about why it's greater for him to go away. Number one, where he goes, he, he's preparing the way for them. Uh, he'll go to heaven, and one day they, since they know the way, they will then come and, and join him there. Jesus is sitting on the throne of the universe now. They know his heart. They know his compassion. They can take assurance in that. He's leaving in order to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with them forever 
and will bring to mind the words that Jesus spoke, uh, teach them. He, he also says the comforter, the helper, will bring them peace. Um, chapter 15, he gives the parable of the vine. He makes another I am statement. I am the true vine. The father is the vine dresser. And basically the way that this um, parable works is, um, yes, Eliza? Yeah. Basically the way that this uh, parable works is is this. Um, What does a vine dresser have to do to make sure the vine produces fruit? Has to prune it. What does it mean to prune something? Yeah, so um, you have a big grapevine. You might have part of the grapevine. There may be a branch that comes off of it that's not bearing grapes, but it's still stealing nutrients away from the rest of the vine, so you cut it off. And then that allows the good vines that are producing fruit to continue to get the nutrients that they need. And so Jesus, basically, uh, the way that he's talking about this is he says, "I'm, I'm like a vine, and you all are like branches. And the father, if there's a branch that is not bearing fruit, the father is going to prune it. But if there's one that is producing fruit, all right, the father, what, what are you going to do to one that's producing fruit? Harvest it. Yeah, you're going to harvest it. You're going to take care of it. Um, but occasionally, you know what else you have to do to it? Still got to prune it. And is that pruning process going to be fun? Well, it may be as painful, it's maybe not a lot of fun, but the Father will still prune sometimes these good branches so that they'll bear even more fruit. And so Jesus calls on the disciples to abide in him. He's the source of their fruit. They need to be connected to Jesus if they're going to live godly, fruitful lives. He says you can do nothing on your own. So abide in me. And as the different trials come after Jesus leaves, they can take assurance that their father is not being mean-spirited towards them, but that he's like a vine dresser who's taking care of this crop so that it will bear fruit in even more abundance. Um, Picking up in verse 18, somebody read for us chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. Okay. Uh, and then verse 26, he says, so, so, so he's basically saying, you're going to have trouble. Uh, they've hated me and persecuted me. The same type of trouble is going to come upon you. But again, trust that your father is this vine dresser. He's not being mean-spirited. 
he's doing this so you'll bear even more fruit. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So the spirit is going to help the disciples do what? Bear witness. Okay, then picking up in chapter 16. I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Can you think of anybody in the later part of the New Testament that does that? Persecute Christians thinking that he's serving God? Hmm? Saul, right? Paul uh, will we'll do that. Uh, verse 3, And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Notice something that Jesus keeps saying throughout this, this kind of sermon is, can you really know the Father without knowing the Son? Can you accept God the Father while rejecting God the Son? He keeps saying that the two are one. No one can come to me except or no one can come to the Father except through me, me he says. So, you know, um, some people get a little bit confused as they're reading John's gospel because they would say something like this. All right, the Jews that are opposing Jesus, aren't they worshiping God the Father? And Jesus' answer, surprisingly, is what? If you were, if you were right with God the Father, you would also be right with me. So Jesus' answer is, okay, the, the Jews who are rejecting me, they actually don't have anything to do with God the Father. Do they think they do? Sure. But, but Jesus' answer is no, they don't. All right? Um, in fact, John 8, what did he say about them? We're children of God, they say. And he says what? Children of the devil. Yeah. Um, I'll read a little bit further into chapter 16. Um, this is about halfway through verse four. I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Spirit also brings conviction of sin. By the way, um, we talked about this one a second ago. Are the disciples going to really need some help bearing witness to Jesus? Will they need some help with that? How do they do at the end of the Gospels bearing witness to Jesus? How does Peter do? Yeah, he denies him and runs away scared, right? Uh, so maybe something that we could connect with this is that the Spirit brings courage to them. It's going to strengthen them. Um, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. 
For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Um, Before we wrap up, let me make two points about the Spirit. Does Jesus call the Spirit an it? What does he call the Spirit? He. He. Spirit is personal, not a force, right? Not, not just like some ethereal power that's out there. The spirit is a person, he, not an it and he. The other thing that Jesus keeps saying about the spirit is that the spirit points the disciples to whom? The to, to Jesus specifically. He comes and he... He, um, he brings Jesus's words to remembrance and teaches. The spirit doesn't teach anything on his own authority, but what he hears from me, that he speaks in the paragraph that I just read. Verse 14, the spirit will glorify me. He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. The ministry of the spirit is to point people to the words and teachings and person of Christ. All right? So... I'll, I'll say this. Um, some churches fall into this uh, a little bit of an error where they like never talk about the Holy Spirit. Kind of forget about the Spirit. Is that good? No. Spirit's fully God. He's worthy of worship. Jesus is talking about the Spirit a lot. So we should talk about the Spirit. Other churches can sometimes fall into an opposite extreme where it's like everything is about the Holy Spirit. And I think that whenever we get to that point, where the Spirit is so emphasized, we, we're missing the fact that according to Jesus, the Spirit's job is to point us to whom? Jesus. To Jesus. All right? So we don't want to fall into the extreme of we never think or talk about the Spirit. We also don't want to fall into the other extreme where it's like everything that we do is Spirit, 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 because we want to let the Spirit do his ministry of bringing Jesus' words and life and ministry back to our minds. The, the Spirit's delight is not to point to himself, but to point to Christ. There, I think you could say it this way. The Spirit is humble. Is Jesus humble? Yeah. And the Spirit is humble. The Spirit doesn't care about all the attention. He wants to point to Christ. So uh, we'll pick up here tomorrow in chapter 16, and we'll get into a really fun text tomorrow. So how many of you will not be here tomorrow?